Before we get started today, I just want to remind you that we're in the middle of our annual raffle, and tickets are just $50, and it really helps support all the wonderful work that we're doing. If you buy a ticket today, I'll send you a personal thank you letter and a little gift. It's really easy. Just go to www.ndgraffle.com. That's ndgraffle.com. I'll be ever so grateful to you. Now let's get started. Ah, 
I stand in candlelight with my hands upon my eyes. There's a passion in my prayers that rends the skies. For a mother's tears can shatter every gate that bars the way. All the heavens will echo. Those words that mothers say. Take my children by the hand. Help them walk along your way. May they never go astray. May they know you as I know you. Oh, Hashem, accept my plea. Give me children. Take my children by the hand Help them walk along your way May they never go astray May they know you as I know you Oh, Hashem, accept my plea Give me children Hi everyone, 
and uh, welcome to a very special class tonight. I am absolutely fascinated by why you would be here tonight. I decided to choose a very controversial topic tonight, a topic that I thought would be a self-selecting topic. Some people would say, what do you mean? Maybe marriage is not for me? No, I wanna get married. Or some people wouldn't even bother with this question. But the fact is that we're here tonight and I am absolutely curious as to why you chose to be here with me tonight. And what I wanna do in the beginning of tonight's discussion is I wanna give you a few minutes to just take the chat. You can write to me privately or publicly. And I wanna know why was this topic interesting to you? I'm just gonna give you two or three minutes now. Maybe I'll put the music back on, um, you know, just so that we have a little bit of uh, time to, to, to write. I really wanna understand what inspired you personally to be here tonight. So go for it. I wanna see some, uh, again, private or public. I really wanna get an idea because it's gonna really affect the way that I answer and the way that I talk about this topic tonight. Please don't uh, write me all at once. <laughs> okay, thank you. I'm getting some uh, private comments coming in and some public comments, fantastic. I actually want to read out some of these. Obviously, I will not, if it's a private message, I will not uh, disclose um, any information that would possibly uh, be linked to you. But I, I want to give you an idea of what some other people are saying and uh, what they're doing here. So somebody wrote, this question has come to my mind. Somebody said, uh, I've been engaged before and it ended badly. I need to know if it's worth trying again. Somebody else said it, it seemed like an interesting topic and there's a lot of intermarriages in our community. Okay, so was thinking about it from the intermarriage side. Um, somebody else said, because I'm still single after dating for a long time and it does not seem to be working out with anyone. Somebody else wrote here, I've been struggling with dating and relationships for years, and I wonder if I should be focused on other aspects of my life and perhaps wonder if marriage is not for me after all. Somebody else wrote, I really wanna get married, so I was curious about this topic and what you have to say. Okay. Somebody else says, marriage might not be for everyone. Somebody else says, so that I learn how to change the course of my life, I believe, I believe I have done all the right things, but nothing, nothing uh, changes ever. <laughs> uh, 
Somebody else says, I thought it was a talk to convince us to stay in a horrible dating game by showing us how great marriage is or to let us know how hard marriage is and have us think seriously before putting ourselves out there. <laughs> so we don't expect a fairy tale. Um, somebody else writes, after dating a couple of people and not working out, I'm exhausted to try again. I've heard that a lot. People being just exhausted from so much dating. Uh, somebody else says, in a new era of 2020 brings many opportunities. Technology is advancing and people change their minds. Uh, somebody else says, I was curious how you were going to approach this. And there's a lot of really great comments here. So this is really great. I, um, somebody else says, we have this idea that we need to get married. And in Judaism, we're sort of expected to be married, to fulfill the mitzvahs. But I want to hear what the love rabbi has to say about marriage. Okay. This is all fantastic. Um, I'm just going to read a couple more of your comments. I'm frustrated with women because they always seem so difficult to court and not worth the trouble. Okay. Seen many friends and siblings getting married and wow, looks like so much pain and difficulty and no one has been able to really tell me why at the end of the day it's worthwhile. Still want to get married for some strange reason, but with all this thought that's coming up pretty often, was curious what you'd have to say about this. I think I've got a really good idea of what you're thinking and what's going on in your mind. And I'm going to uh, try to tailor my talk tonight based on what I, what, I, um, what I think or what I see that is interesting and important to you. So tonight we're gonna ask a very difficult question. And I'm gonna change the question a bit. The question I'm gonna ask, which is similar to the question that we, uh, that, that we asked before, but I'm gonna change it a little bit. Not, instead of saying, maybe marriage is just not for me. I'm going to say, why bother getting married? This is actually the title of a book that I'm in the middle of writing. So I really wanted to have this conversation with you because I am knee deep into writing this book. I'm about uh, uh, three quarters of the way through and God willing, it's going to be coming out in the beginning of next year. And I really thought this could be a great opportunity for us to have a real raw conversation about why bother getting married, maybe marriage is not for me, and trying to understand in this 21st century world, what is the story of marriage? Now, I really wanna encourage you throughout this next 45 minutes of my talk, please write your questions in the comments because as you know, right after I'm done talking, we have what I guess has become in these relationship talks, the celebrated question and answer session, which is always my favorite. And I really wanna to get to all of your questions. I even have a number of questions that people sent me before tonight's class that I'm going to get to as well. So I'm really excited about the question and answers that are gonna to follow tonight's talk. So for me, where did this start? Obviously, personally, coming from the Hasidic world, coming from the Chabad world, coming from a very religious world, I had no idea that this was an issue. 
And it's so funny because for years, there's been a, such a strong conversation in the Jewish community about intermarriage. Everyone's talking about intermarriage. You know, why marry Jewish? Uh, the, 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 the importance of getting married to a Jew. But I think that there's a much more important conversation that needs to be had today. And it's not the intermarriage conversation. It's the marriage conversation. Why bother getting married? More and more of us, for legitimate reasons that I've just seen in your comments, are not getting married today. And so instead of asking the question, why intermarry? I'm saying, why marry altogether? And it's not a question that's my own. It's a question that I keep on seeing over and over and over again. People asking me this in all different ways. Around 15 years ago, uh, I never actually, I know somebody mentioned the love rabbi. I actually don't like that, that term that people use. I, it was coined by a newspaper a couple of years ago, and I've kind of have no choice but to run with it. It was in a documentary on CBC. So uh, it's kind of, I got to run with it. But I, I, I think it's a little cheesy. But I never intended that my rabbinate would be so focused on relationships. 15 years ago, when I started in Montreal, I didn't know anything about relationships. I was newly married. And I saw this group of what was happening after university is they were, I guess, calling themselves young professionals or there was this post-university people not getting married, people wanting to relationships but not sure what's going on. It was really the, 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 the beginning of what was going to become the world that we've seen today and the world that we know so well today. And so... I kept on hearing this question over and over again. Actually, in my first relationship class, 15 years ago, somebody who's actually on this, uh, I see him here right now, he asked this question. And this question has followed me for the past 15 years. And that's the reason why I've chosen to write this book about it. So it's the beginning of this first relationship talk that I'm gonna give 15 years ago. And I'm doing research for it. And I see this fascinating Time CNN poll. It was conducted in 2000. And it showed a diminishing number of women. Fewer than 50% of women were looking towards marriage as a source of their happiness. The, the woman who they quoted was this Barbara Defoe, who is the co-director of the Rutgers University National Marriage Project. And she says, at the end of this article, Marriage is not what it used to be, period. But to me, the saddest part of this phenomenon is that so many people have become numb to the intensity of the pain of their loneliness. And I think now with COVID, we see this even more. This loneliness has really come to the top. People seeing an absolute loneliness. And I find that so many young people that I meet, and not so young people that I meet, more often than not seem desensitized by the wide range of cultural influences that, that quite literally sell them the story that it's okay to live without a long-term relationship, without the type of long-lasting love 
that only comes with a marriage. So with, with no one to welcome their love and no one to love them in return, they live with this uncomfortable, unfortunate commonality, this accepted feeling that something is missing, but they never, they never quite understand what is it that they're missing. And they accept this loneliness as if it's just a fact of life. Sometimes these singles will turn towards an animal companion to meet this need because they really have no choice. Someone said that my voice is not clear. Is my voice clear? You're freezing, Rabbi. Okay. Okay, I hope this is better. Now, this phenomenon of intense loneliness is not natural at all. It's funny, you ever find that when you become aware of something, you start noticing it everywhere? They call this the frequency illusion, or the, I think it's called the, the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon or something like that. It's when we hear or we see something and it seems to appear to us more often than it had in the past. This frequency illusion started happening to me and I started seeing that there was this young not getting married problem. And here I'm walking into a world that is completely foreign to me and it's possible that people had not been getting married for a long time before I even figured this out. But in my world, in the Hasidic world, if you were 25 and not married, I mean, you were, you were a spinster or an old bachelor. I never heard of this before. So I began meeting independently with successful young men and women who apparently could get whatever they wanted without committing. They seem to have gotten rid of this need, or so they thought, to commit. And it felt almost like living in a postmodern world. It seemed as if no one needed each other anymore, or at least that's how they felt, and no one needed to settle. I hate that word, settling down. I really never understood that word. So. Here's what I thought. I thought that maybe, maybe, maybe marriage and long-term relationships are finished. It could be. Not everything has to last through the, the, the echoes of time. Maybe we finally move past it all. Maybe these young adults, these singles, these young professionals were onto something and people are trying to protect traditional values, and maybe they're wrong. Or 
maybe these people are afraid or maybe they have no role models for a healthy and a successful relationship or maybe commitment and marriage are simply not high enough on their list of priorities right now. I mean, just a thought, just, just a thought. So whatever the case is, there, there's no way for us to even begin to have a conversation about relationships if we're not gonna be real with ourselves, if we're not gonna be honest with our priorities. I mean, we have to say, what is my priority right now? If your priority is your career, that's okay. But it's really hard to be climbing up the corporate ladder, so to speak, or be focusing on your career as the primary focus of your life right now, and also to be focusing on your relationship as the primary purpose of your life. I mean, there, there, there needs to be something that gives. If you're gonna focus on something really important like your career, something's gonna give, and what's gonna give is probably your relationships. So let me, let me tell you a little personal story. It's uh, Philadelphia. It's October 28th, 2004. It's a chilly autumn night. Sarah, who would soon to be my wife, we're on our fourth date, which is pretty standard in the Hasidic world. We're walking through the streets of the city of love, Philadelphia. And I actually had just proposed to her right there on the sidewalk. It wasn't romantic. It wasn't this Hollywood-esque proposal. It was spontaneous. It was unplanned. The truth is, I admit I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I mean, it was like we were talking about something and the next thing you know, I popped the question. Just like that. Sarah says, today she says, I spat it out. Okay, I spat it out. I, I had no idea how to date. No one taught me how to date. No one taught me what I was doing. I mean, I grew up, again, in this Chabad Hasidic community in Chicago. I had no female friends. My entire class was boys. Yiddish was our primary language. I mean, it, it, you know, it's kind of like it came out of that Netflix show, Shtisel. My life was, for the most part, very insular. And, and obviously, a relationship with, or even speaking to someone of the opposite gender was entirely out of the question. So in the Chabad community, at this point, today maybe it's not the same, but when we're talking 15 years ago, um, when you're about 22, 23, you, for the boys, and about 19, 20 for the girls, you start dating. And, and most of the dates are set up by matchmakers. I know what you're about to do. Sing the song in your head. Okay. Matchmaker. So, in, in, so here I am. I'm the ripe old age of 22. And suggestions are trickling in through my mother's phone. And obviously, my mother, being a good Jewish mother, was more than elated to marry off her oldest son. And what usually happens in the Hasidic community is suggestions are sent to the parents, not to the person themselves, especially um, at that age, maybe when they're a little older, but not at that age. 
and they research the potential match and they decide if their child should begin dating that person. And as the suggestions came in, my mother began researching these potential mates. Now, my mother kept on calling me every single day and I'm here in rabbinical school, I'm trying to finish my rabbinical degree and my mother's you know, updating me with her findings. For, for my mother, you have to understand, it wasn't about if I would start dating, it was just a matter of when it would happen. So, um, most of my friends at the time had not become dating. So, shiduchim, as we call it, which is, means matches in English, you know, so we're really, we didn't speak about it very much. And in terms of the shiduchim, in terms of dating, I had absolutely no idea. I didn't know anything about it. I was a serious student and I was focused on my studies. So let's go back to this street corner in Philadelphia where, I, as Sarah says, I spat out this proposal to her. We, Sarah and I kind of knew each other. We had met six years earlier in Minnesota. It's a long story all on its own, which I'm not gonna get into right now. And, um, we, we had had a number of interactions, but we had decided that, that we would wait until, I don't know if we decided, but it kind of was an unspoken thing that we were gonna wait until we were older and then we were gonna see if we, would, if we would date then. So here, actually was six years later, I had met her six years prior. And we're now, my mother's kind of dealing with all these match sessions that are coming in. And my mother decides to call Sarah's mother to set up the date. Now, there's a whole other story about our parents kind of deciding that we were gonna, that we were gonna date years before. I don't know that story, but uh, apparently there is a story about that. So actually there's quite a few people who take credit for our match. By the way, um, taking credit for a match is a very important thing because somebody once said, I don't know a source for this. I've been looking for a source for years, but somebody once said, that if you're if you make three matches you go right to heaven um i find me a source because i think at this point i can give quite a few go to heaven free passes out <laughs> um i just had my 72nd engagement so do that divide that by three i've got a couple to give out so um we so sorrow had been spending a year teaching in philadelphia so we decided to meet there I went on two dates and then I went back. We actually had our third date in New York and now I'm back in Philadelphia trying to make a long story short and we're walking silently down this eerie street and here I am. I just asked her to marry me and there's silence. I'm just waiting for an answer. I mean, was this it? What if she says no? What if I just made a huge mistake by proposing? And here we are, we just keep walking down that eerie street. I can almost hear the leaves jumping off the trees nearby, screaming at me, you absolute idiot. I felt like such a fool. And it was obvious to me at that moment that Sarah was not ready for it. She was not ready for me to propose. And I had no idea that actually what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to talk to the matchmaker and the matchmaker is supposed to warn her that probably the boy is going to propose. So that way she had a fair warning. Well, I didn't know any of this. I mean, 
there's no Hasidic dating manual. So nobody told me this and I just figured, look, I like her, everything is good. Let's, let's get married. <laughs> so here I am, I'm waiting for her to respond in total silence. It was the longest 30 minutes of my life. I just wanted to, to bury my head in the sand. I wanted to run far away, hoping that I never had to put myself through such an emotional humiliation ever again. And then the silence broke. Yes. 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 And when her yes finally arrived, it, I was beyond elated. It was like this greatest moment of my life so far. I couldn't believe that it was finally happening. I mean, this is, this is unbelievable. So we go to, in the Chabad community, you make your engagement official by going and asking a blessing by the grave of the, the Rebbe, of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And so uh, it's actually the origin of hashtag cemetery engagements. And so until it's made official, we keep this, we keep, even though I proposed to her, we don't tell anyone. So aside from our parents and maybe a close friend or you know, a mentor of some sort. So I, um, I actually didn't drive at the time. I didn't have my license yet. So Sarah actually dropped me off after, after that evening. And I decided to call who was then a very close mentor of mine, Rabbi Mordechai Berger of blessed memory. He was uh, an amazing man. He was the head of the yeshiva in Ottawa where I was working and really this down to earth and very witty and very wise. And it was like this rare combination. And I used to speak to him about a lot of really incredible things. So I decided I'm gonna call him. So I, I call him up, it's about uh, 11 o'clock at night. Rabbi Berger, I'm engaged. There's silence, you know, I was expecting like this mazel tov, something. So I say it again, I'm engaged. More, more silence. What's going on here? And in this soft, but pensive voice, he just said to me, why? Why? That is not the response that I was looking for. Why? I don't know why. I mean, she's amazing. Uh, I mean, I'm shocked. I'm bewildered. And he, and he says to me, well, Yisrael, when you figure out why, call me back. And the phone slams. He, hang up, he, hung, he hangs up on me at the greatest moment of my life. I mean, here I am, all elated. She finally said yes. And my mentor hangs up the phone on me, wants to know why. So 20 minutes later, I called him back and I gave him a good answer that seemed to make sense or something that I figured would, you know, <laughs> I mean, in the middle of all these emotions that would make sense. I said, Rabbi Berger, I'm gonna marry her because I love her and I wanna marry her and I wanna share my life with her. And he says to me, marriage is filled with ups and downs. Getting married is wonderful. 
but never forget why you're getting married. And it's going to carry you through the rough times as well. I, I can never forget Rabbi Berger's specific emphasis on the word why. And at this high moment of my life, these sobering words kind of to this day keep me on track. And I realized that at that moment, Rabbi Berger was giving me the opportunity to answer the question that now I'm faced with by so many people. Why bother getting married? And even if he wasn't satisfied with my answer, I'm sure he knew by posing it to me, it would become a lifelong quest, and it did. So it, it kind of seems obvious to so many people, obviously not to all of us here, but to so many people, why should we get married? To whom? Maybe it's obvious to your grandmother why you should get married. But what about to us? I mean, today, we don't even want to say the word married. People call it the big M word. They're afraid to say the word marriage. I often get, when I, when I say the word marriage, I get these uncomfortable reactions from people, almost like saying a toilet word in kindergarten, like it's like this uncomfortable thing, marriage. It's become so uncomfortable to us that we can't even say the word. And today, we understand less and less and less about why get married. The divorce rate in the United States is well over 50%. It's, it, you know, according to some stats, it's even closer to 80% at this point. And that doesn't even include people who aren't getting married. Maybe the, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's absolutely incredible. The odds of divorce today are more in your favor than the odds of staying married. So I guess not understanding marriage or understanding why we get married makes sense. I mean, why should we even bother? And it seems to be, it seems to be this reoccurring theme, love. I mean, many people used to think, I mean, or maybe still think, maybe you still think that the primary reason to get married is love with the fallen love rabbi. There needs to be fireworks. I, all, I Sometimes when I hear, you know, there needs to be fireworks, I just want to follow this person on a date and I want to take a little firecracker and put it behind the seat of the person that they're sitting across the table from and just light it. And there I'm going to say, boom, there's fireworks, no. So on the, on the one hand, people argue that it's about love. And on the other hand, they say that they would refute the need to formalize or to consolidate love for another in the form of the established institution of marriage. I mean, think about it. If you truly love each other, then the feelings that you have at this moment should be sufficient to maintain both of you together for at least the rest of your lives, right? I mean, what do you need formalities? What do you need public ceremonies? What's the point of marriage? And if you don't love each other sufficiently, then it's foolish to think that marriage would hold you together. Nobody wants to remain in a loveless relationship. 
So think about it for a moment. If love is the reason that we marry, then marriage is a statement of the potential failure of emotional ties. And divorce proves that emotional attraction is simply insufficient to keep two people together. You shouldn't need nice words or pieces of paper or a public spectacle to solidify your commitment to each other if you are truly in love, if you truly harbor this deep attraction to your beloved. Doesn't love conquer all? I'll tell you another story. I'm in the mood of telling stories tonight. I'm gonna to tell you about um, a friend of mine, Oliver. He's got this incredible energy. And uh, I actually asked him, um, I, I wrote his story in the book and I asked him if I can use his name and he said yes. So <laughs> I, when I asked him, I said, can I use your real name for the book? He said, sure, but more importantly, who's gonna play me in the movie? So we go out to lunch and he's engaged now to his wife, his, his wife, Carrie. And they had met in, at one of the Chabad Hanukkah parties. They had, they had met in the Chabad center and they, they had dated for God knows how long. And now they finally decided to tie the knot and they were gonna tie the knot at this you know, private estate in Northern Vermont. And they didn't want the fanfare of this traditional wedding. They just wanted you know, something quaint in the New England mountains with all of their favorite people. So Oliver's sitting there and he, and he turns to me, he, he's an accountant, so he thinks in accounting terms. And he says to me, let's say, Rabbi, that you were to make a loan to a friend or you were to make a loan to a business acquaintance. And it's perfectly acceptable to ask for a promissory note or for something to serve as collateral. But if you made the same loan to your brother or sister, this is what he says to me, they would be offended if you asked them for collateral. If you trust someone, then there's no need for the transaction to be guaranteed with an institutional framework. Simply, he says, one's word or one statement of commitment on their part should be sufficient. It's only when you don't trust the other person that contracts become necessary. And so he says, if I love my bride, if I love my fiance, Carrie, and vice versa, then Carrie should feel offended if she, the person who I have pledged my love, the person who I have pledged my commitment to, demands a formal undertaking to formalize the bond. It doesn't make any sense. So, and it's a fascinating, concept. It's a fascinating question. So I turned to Oliver and I said like this, there was a great medieval Jewish philosopher named the Rambam, Maimonides, and he argued in his philosophical masterpiece, The Guide for the Perplexed. He said that the reason that God instituted that we have to marry, and especially in public, was to minimize the friction that would result from interhuman competition for flesh. This is what Rambam says a thousand years ago, Maimonides says this, that many men might compete for affections 
or the attention of a single woman creating what we call a meat market, or maybe he said a cattle market, I think, where the forces governing human relationships would be indistinguishable from commercial market forces. And just think about how this fierce competition for material objects are. So how can it sow a serious discord among humans? Now, it's funny because I turn to Oliver and Oliver's like, okay, minimizing the friction that would result from interhuman competition for flesh. I get that. It's actually something I can buy into. I don't want anyone to compete with me for my, for my wife. He actually just randomly, he turns to yell out loud to this empty restaurant that we were sitting in in Outremont in, in the Hasidic area in, uh, in Montreal. And he says, no one touch my girl, got that? So I think that Oliver understood that in order for us to live in peace, an institution that clearly marketed people as attached or out of competition was needed. And in no way do I want to trivialize what the Rambam says, what Maimonides says, but anyone somewhat knowledgeable of the quote-unquote single scene will know just how profound Maimonides was a thousand years ago, well before the single scene. I mean, today's singles are, are fraught with these ethical questions created specifically because of relationships that take place outside of the institution of marriage. But even though it makes sense, I don't know about you, but it doesn't satisfy me. This idea of why bother getting married? Maybe marriage is not for me. I mean, I don't think we often realize that the question is predicated on a flawed perception of humanity. Today, we look at ourselves as being whole. We look at ourselves as being complete individuals. Although we are so easy to acknowledge our blemishes and to acknowledge our imperfections, we don't see ourselves as fundamentally incomplete or as missing something. We believe, for the most part, that we're basically good people, maybe not perfect, but we're not missing anything vital. And that coziness, that sense of completion, I think is even further enhanced by a good education, by a, a well-paying job. And it leads to this general sense of security, or at least a security to get through day-to-day -day life, to feel whole. Now, this assumption of wholeness implies that there can be no intrinsic reason for marrying at all. If we're not missing anything in life, why search for a lifelong partner? I mean, even if we marry, this philosophy is going to lead us to discard our spouse the moment things heat up. Thing, since we're intrinsically complete without them, we don't need them. I mean, just think about it a second. Look around your living space. Do you have any place in your apartment for someone else? Do you have a free moment in your day 
to be in a relationship? If someone came into your life right now, today, would you be able to handle it? I've said this before, but I'll say it again. It may take clearing out half of your closet, sleeping on one side of your bed, to realize that you're not complete, that you need something. You need someone else in your life. You need to really feel like there's something missing in your life for someone to come into your life. Like really, you're missing something. The, the Rebbe compared finding a soulmate to searching for something that you've lost. He actually wrote in a letter to someone that a person doesn't sit with folded arms and just wait for someone to return a lost object to them. They have to um, expend effort and seek to find the object they've lost. And if we don't feel as if we're missing anything, that is, we are missing our soulmates, how are you ever going to find them? And that, that is really, for me, starts, I think, the proper question is, am I missing something? Am I complete myself? Maybe some of us, maybe marriage is not for me because I consider myself whole on my own. I don't need anyone else to complete me. So why would I want to be in a relationship for someone to be the complement of my soul, to be the other half, as they say? It wouldn't make any sense. So do I need someone else in my life or not? Do I want? Wants are wonderful. Wants are very nice. But do I need someone else in my life? And if that question, if the answer to that question right now is no, that's okay. You're allowed to be real. This, this idea of not being real with ourselves, of living in this kind of presentation, this false world, it's not helping anyone. It's definitely not helping you. I know it's not helping me. And I think that a lot of people will very easily interchange need for want. It's not a want. I have a lot of things that I want, but not a lot of things that I need. And there's a very big difference between things that I want and things that I need. If you're looking for a relationship because you want it, it's not good enough. You need to look for a relationship because you need it, because it is the most important thing in your life right now. I need it. You need to eat. You need to sleep. It's a basic need. If you want it, it just means it's very nice. If I have it, I have it. If I have it, if I don't have it, I don't. It takes too much work. It's too, not, I'm not saying it in a negative way. It's just, it's, it's something that what takes over our life to the point where if I just want it, like, I don't know, like I want a new iPhone or I, I don't know what people want today but whatever that is that you want, it's not, it's not enough. It's not gonna do it. I know it's rough and, and I know that I'm not gonna be able to answer the question fully and I'm in an hour and that's why I'm writing a book on it. 
But what I will tell you is that there are a lot of answers. I don't know if I found all the answers now. I think that um, it's a lifelong quest. And here I am even married in, in a healthy, happy relationship and I'm still finding it. I'm finding it not as much for myself, but for a lot of people that I, that I, that I care about and I've come in contact with. Because I think that it's a really, really powerful, really important question that today needs to be answered even more than some of the other questions on relationships. Now, I just wanna, before I finish and go to questions, I wanna talk about people who remain single. People who end up remaining single for a long time or, or possibly for their entire life. Somebody once asked me, is someone who is not married or someone who will never marry, are they incomplete? It's a big question. Incomplete. That's a, that's a, a big word when it comes to a person's personality or who they are. I think that there can be no doubt that a single person can live a very wholesome, a very satisfying, and a complete life. And it could be that a single person can accomplish great things and they can make significant contributions and they can enhance all of humanity. The Talmud tells us, tells us of a fascinating scholar. His name is Rabbi Yonatan ben Uziel. Maybe if some of you have been in, in Israel, you have gone to his uh, grave. It's, they call it Amuka. A lot of singles go there actually. And he, this Rabbi Yonatan ben Uziel, is the greatest disciple of Hillel the Elder. He was actually one of the most respected and leading sages of Israel. And, and he's so engrossed in his study that he never married. His mastery of Jewish law and his contribution is unbelievable. I mean, his codification of Jewish thought was almost without parallel. But he's criticized by the Talmud for lacking a wife. In spite of his mastery, of Jewish ideology, he's criticized by the Talmud because he didn't get married. This doesn't trivialize the important contribution that he made to Jewish life. But what it does mean is that he would have been far more complete had he married. The Torah says it's not good for man to be alone, which means without a wife. And I'm friendly with a lot of singles and a lot of singles who've been single for a long time. Few of them, I think, remain so as a matter of conviction, but maybe some of them do. And some of them remain single because of a variety of reasons. Because maybe they didn't find a partner suitable enough to marry or they were burned by a previous relationship. Some of the stuff that we kept on hearing before. Hello. Or the fear of being hurt again. Or there could be tons and tons of reasons. And maybe I'll discuss it um, in, in the next part of our session tonight. Each one of us is a universe all unto ourselves. But there are different levels of completion for all of us. So 
when a single person who endeavors his or her best to lead a, a loving and a decent life and contribute to their environment and contribute to their community is complete on one level, I believe, and again, it's still a work in progress, but I believe they still lack a greater form of completion that can only be found in a long-term relationship. And I think it's the same aspect applies for interpersonal interactions in marriage. They're, they're, they're relevant within the scope of friendship and all of other human relationships. We can live life on our own, but the more people we have to share the warmth and the light of the human experience, the more enriched our life will be. And I think that over the past few months, we've seen this, at least I can tell you for myself, I've seen this so much more than before, not having the social interaction. We call it social distancing. Not having those social interactions that I just became so used to. It's become so much more difficult for me. And I think that I, I, I appreciate, even, this, even though this is not together in the same room, I even appreciate this social interaction because we need that. In Jewish tradition, a man's soul is analogous to a candle. And when two flames are put near each other, they, they naturally incline towards each other. I think all of us are looking to share our light with someone we love. And the highest form of sharing of that light is marriage, is the union of which we together become one flesh. I can't share with you what a 50 or 60 year marriage looks like, but I can tell you what a 15 year marriage looks like. And despite the ups and downs, it's absolutely magical. And my wish for you tonight is that you have an opportunity to experience that if you haven't in your life. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to switch gears into our coveted question and answer session. There's no question that's off limits. Ask whatever you want. You can ask it privately to me in the comments so that no one knows that you asked the question. You can ask it publicly, whatever you want. I will go through each of the questions. And I also have a list of questions that people sent me from before. So I'm going to go through those as well. And I suspect, based on the questions that I see already, that we are going to have a fascinating conversation tonight over the next hour of the question and answer session. So um, where should I start? Uh, I'll let you guys go through some of these questions here. And I will, let me just make sure. Tabarnak! Qui nous fait chier ce connard là?
Let me see here. I'm just going to making sure that we can get to all these questions. Where do they start? Okay. First question. I feel that there are gender differences with women wanting marriage and children, especially Jewish, whereas men want to play in the field and don't mind marrying out. I told you no questions off limits, but also no answer is off limits. And I'm going to tell you that I am not going to be PC. I may offend people in the process of my answers, but I just want to tell you as it is. I see this way too often. People, let's talk about the women because it's a woman who, who, who wrote this comment to me or this question. Women get to an age, they feel like their biological clock is ticking and they wanna have a kid. So they go out in the world to find a man with which they can have a kid, but they're not really focused on the man. They're focused on the kid. And I see this because I see what happens in the marriage, once the kid comes, it's likely to dispose the man. And this is happening a lot. And I see a lot of the issues around young couples. I mean, there's so many issues around young couples. I'm not gonna get into that tonight. But this is a, a very big issue where as the primary reason that she wanted to get married was to have a kid. So she really wasn't interested in him. She was interested in what he can provide for her. Is it a need? It is a need. Is it a proper need? No, because I think she's missing such a valuable, a valuable part of her life. I mean, the child is beautiful and wonderful and I'm proud that she could have a child, especially, you know, I'm seeing women in, in, in their late thirties and their forties having children. That's wonderful. But don't look for a man to have a kid with. Now, for the men who she says are out in the field and they don't mind marrying out, there's another problem here. And again, I'm not here to blame it, men and women. I'm not starting to do the blame game because blaming doesn't help anybody. But the fact of the matter is, is that if they can have whatever they want, what, a, what, the, what did somebody once say to me? If I can have the milk without buying the cow, I think that's what... That's what he said, then why should I buy the cow? I mean, if women are allowing the men to have whatever they want without a commitment, well, then they're both at, 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 at odds when it comes to this issue. Oh, I see a lot of questions coming in from this. Okay, good. Should I be, should I be rougher? Tell me if I should be tougher. I'll say it as it is. Somebody says here, I've been engaged twice, but both didn't work out and I was very hurt. I'd like to get married, but finding the right man to marry has been a real struggle for me. At this point in my life, I'd be okay with finding my soulmate and life partner, but it has to be the right person. I'm just wondering if marriage is in the cards for me. I question that. I think we have to go back to the need. You have to go back to your need. What do you really need? 
yeah, maybe when you were 20 years old, you know, maybe you're a little older now, but maybe when you were 20 years old, you had one set of needs. And today you have a different set of needs. See, as we evolve and as we grow, we have to also grow with our, the changes of our needs. So maybe the list of the person that was perfect for you 20 years ago is still what you're thinking. We need to get this connection between the heart and the mind. Your, your heart has to feel what your mind knows and your mind has to know what your heart feels. If you're attracted to someone, but they're not the right thing for you because maybe, maybe they were right for you 20 years ago, but that's not 20 years ago now. There's a whole different level for you. So I think that a lot of the issues with, it has to be the right person. I understand a lot of people have been hurt. It's very difficult. I, I feel your pain. I've listened to so many stories. I know how difficult it is to date. I know how difficult it is to be in relationships, marriages. I know that we say the word difficult, but it's also needs to be changed. We need to start seeing it as a process, as seeing it as beautiful. There's so much magic in it as well. You know, we turn it into this very trivial thing, like, oh my gosh, do I have to do this? Yes. Unless you're narcissistic. I mean, if you're a narcissist, I can't do anything about it. If you're a narcissist, then you should get married to yourself. And if you're completely selfish, I can't help you. I don't think anybody can help you. You can't even help you because you are complete without anybody else. But if you are not a narcissist, if you have some goodness in you, <clears throat> let, me, let me scratch that, now, goodness. If you have some giving in you, then you have to ask yourself some very profound questions. Like, what does it mean it has to be the right person? I know that you've learned so much over the years from the relationships you've had, from the experiences we had. We all learn from that. But like I've said so many times, don't wear it on your forehead. Put it in a bag. Tie it up and put it over your shoulder. Put it behind you. Don't wear it on your forehead. Don't let it drive your purpose. Don't let it drive what's important for you in your life. You have to get down to who I am and what's really important, what's really motivating me and why I really want to be in a relationship. If you haven't taken my five-part questionnaire about how to know what I'm looking for, send me an email. I'll send it to you. It's really... It's a really profound, I think, or, or uh, important experience. If you want a relationship, a marriage, sorry, the big M word, to be in the cards for you, then you have to, you have to need it, not want it. Wanting is nice, but needing is an entirely different level. Somebody wrote a thought here, I'll just say it. If the man is always away at work, what's the point? Also, many examples of married life I saw didn't look too interesting. Then again, in my youth, most people one saw were not living very creative or conscious lives, more like a humdrum of middle-class survival. Well, it really depends. Yes, young couples do end up being apart because of uh, the need for uh, livelihood and for that, but it really, you know, 
why is he working or why is she working? Is it to be able to be in a relationship and to be able to have a beautiful uh, home life or is it to be able to get away from the home? It's all about what is the most important thing in our life right now. So many people, and I haven't spoken about this enough, maybe we'll do a session just on career versus relationships. So many people prioritize career versus relationships. And there's a lot of reason for that. There's uh, financial security, there is you know, climbing up the ladder, there is uh, that need for success. There's so many great reasons for it. But you can only have one most important thing in your life at a given time. You can have many important things, many urgent things, many non-important things, but only one most important thing. You can't have the most important thing in my life right now is my career and the most important thing right now is my relationship. You can't have them both equally. What is the purpose of your career? Is it to build a life for you and your partner? Is it to become successful, to feel good about yourself, to get notoriety? You have to ask yourself real questions. And if you're just gonna live behind the, the veil of, well, this is important or that is important or just let life just live, it's not gonna work. I see something so incredible that's happening over the past few months. People are starting to change their priorities. COVID has been terrible in so many ways, but also been amazing, I think in one very powerful way. And that is people are realizing that life is, is, is important. And it's important to think about what our, priority, what our priorities are. And I think that is absolutely incredible. Somebody writes here, my focus has always been to get married. I struggle to find men who also value marriage. I've said this before, and I know it really hurts so many singles when I say this, but I'm gonna say it again. And I'll say it as many times as I need to. You are the common denominator in all your failed relationships. If you struggle to find men who value marriage, you have to question yourself first. What is your value? Why are you being attracted? Again, that connection between, so it could be you know that you value marriage, but do you feel that? Are you attracted to men who are, value marriage? Does your heart feel marriage? Or is it just your mind that knows? You need to have that connection between the heart and the mind. Your mind has to know that marriage is important and your heart has to be attracted to someone who thinks marriage is important. So if you're attracting people into your life who struggle with the value of marriage, you have to ask yourself, not why can't I find a man? Don't put it on someone else, put it on yourself. Why am I attracting men who don't value marriage into my life? Because there are many, many men out there who value marriage. Here's another one. I don't know if that's true though. Uh, I focused on getting married for a long time and it wasn't working out. I've heard so many times that if you focus on yourself and your life, then eventually the right one will come along. I don't know who you've heard that from, that if you focus on yourself and your life, eventually the right one will come along. I mean, I think that if you, if you do the right 
pre preparation, if you put yourself out there in the right way, if you're attracting the right people into your life, yes, I do agree that we need to, there, you know, there's that, the whole self world, I'm not going to go into the self-help and the self, the self uh, aggrandization world. But again, and I'm going to say something similar to what I said to the person who asked before, you need to see, you know, you say I focused on getting married for a long time. What were you focusing on? What were you doing? What, 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 what does that mean? I focused on it. Were you, were you just reading books on it? I mean, it's wonderful. You can read as many books. Coming to classes is wonderful. But what are you, what are you doing to focus on it? And, and, it's, and I'm always amazed by people who say, I'm very focused on getting married. But okay, what does that mean? Focused on getting married. I'm marriage-oriented. Wonderful. I'm so proud of you. Thank you for being marriage-oriented. The world could not live without your marriage-oriented. But what are you doing for it? Somebody asked, what is the relation between career and marriage? Um, I spoke about it just before a little bit. I, I think I want to do a session because I don't want to answer it in, in five seconds. There, there's, a, there's a lot to talk about about career versus marriage because they are two integral parts of our lives. They're two main priorities in our life. And they, one can, they, they can't both be main priorities. And I really want to spend some time really focusing on career and, and marriage, career and relationships uh, at a future talk. What is the relationship between career and relationships? The same, the same question again. Okay. So obviously this is something that uh, is on people's minds. I was with a woman, as the rabbi said, who are more focused on career and the relationship failed. Yes, you can have them both, but you need to focus on what you want and build it. Thank you. Absolutely. You, you know, and, and, I, and I can't stress it enough. It's, it's, you, you can't focus on both of them equally. It doesn't work. And the person continues, but when you want to build your career, you focus and the time on that. Um, who are we kidding? Men cannot multitask. Okay. You need more in a relationship, this person says, than love. And sometimes love can't hold the relationship together. You may love someone, but it's not the be all and end all. Okay, someone disagrees with me that people don't feel incomplete. People feel highly uh, incomplete, but are terrified of getting hurt, rejected, and emotionally abused. And I actually agree with that. I mean, it's not only incomplete. Incomplete is a very vague word. But yes, there's a lot of people for valid reasons, and we're not putting those people down at all, that feel hurt, rejected, emotionally abused, and they have to figure out themselves. I mean, they won't be able to get into another relationship after being hurt, rejected, and emotionally abused if they don't have a way to change what they've done in the past. This person says, missing something. But what about the concept of being complete person and going into marriage? How do those concepts work together? If we need someone, then we're not complete. Yes, I agree with you. If you, if you need someone, then you're not complete. You can be 
a complete version of your single self. But the Jewish answer to that is, what the Torah says, is that you're only a complete half of yourself. You're not a complete whole of yourself. I'm not saying don't be the best person you can be without being in a relationship. You don't, nobody wants to marry somebody who, uh, you know, whatever. But the completest version of your single self is only half of the potential. That's what the Talmud said to Rabbi, to Rabbi Yonatan ben Uziel. You know, he was an amazing person. What a great scholar. What an incredible human being. But the Talmud and the rabbis of the Talmud really believed he could have been that much better because he was only a complete version of his half self. And he needed the other half of his soul to complete himself. That, that need. And I think that maybe the definition and the way we translate need in our society, it's not strong enough. We, maybe you're not, we're not getting it. Together, we're not getting it. Like maybe we need to find another word that makes more sense. That would, that would work for us. Need is a very, could be a very strong word. Maybe it's overused because it's just four letters. Maybe we need like a word that's, I don't know, 10 letters that's not as used. Somebody uh, mentioned Mary Kondo, declutter your place and create space for someone new. I agree. Um, okay, here's another one. Being single is something I struggle with all the time, despite the fact that I'm successful in my career and have done other things in my life. I still feel incomplete without a husband. See, that, that's an amazing realization because you can be successful. You can have a successful life. But that's what the Torah wants us to do, wants us to still feel incomplete without that person. Someone else says here, how can one leave space in their life for another person with the possibility of it being empty for a long time? What about making space once you find the person so you can feel more complete and content until you find the spouse? You know what's funny? You know what they say, if you build it, they will come? If you have the space, it won't be empty for a long time. Don't, you, part of creating that space, it's not just the physical space, it's the emotional and it's the mental and it's the, there's, there's a lot of elements of that space that you need to create. There's a lot of elements and physical is the, is, is the first level of it, but there's so many other levels of it. So I think that it's really important to make the space first. Because making the space in, in physical, you're going to end up making the space mentally and emotionally and spiritually, and it's going to affect. And if you build it, they will come. If you create the space, they will come. I don't believe. I don't believe that if you create that space, it's going to be empty for very long. Somebody was commenting on the candle. What if the candle light goes out or it was the wrong type of candle? The candlelight goes out or it's the wrong type of candle, it's okay. Remember, you are still in that relationship. You were in that relationship. You got into that relationship. And you're also the one who's getting out of the relationship. Whether it's your choice or not, you're still the one who is there. And you are the common denominator. So you need to 
give yourself credit, both positive and negative. I don't believe, yes, it's very easy to, when you're, when you're getting out of a relationship to focus only on the negative or, you know, maybe in hindsight, you start focusing on positive elements of it. It's important for, for it to, instead of blaming the other, to realize that it takes two and you were also there. And the fact that you were also there and maybe it could have been that it was the wrong type of candle, but it was also your candle that was the wrong type of candle. So if you've had a breakup or a divorce or you've, you've had a difficulty, you have to also think about that you were there for the good times and the bad times. Maybe in a future um, talk, we'll talk about what divorce will teach us about our relationships. I think uh, that would be a good uh, conversation to have in the future. Somebody asks, share light with only one person? Well, again, similar to career versus relationships, you can't expect to have the most important relationship in your life to be many people, because then it's not the most important. You need to only have one most important relationship in your life. Someone asks, do you see dating sites as a trap simply designed to keep one single? Oh, what a good question. I always like when there's, that's a really good question. Uh, yes, I do. And even though I, uh, I, I mean, I don't have a dating site. It's more of a private site that I use to organize my matches, J Montreal, that many of you know. And if you don't, I encourage you to go on it. But even so, I see the whole dating scene as the opposite of marriage. The whole dating scene today is created to keep us single. Everything about it. People playing the game. I'm gonna, I, I got some questions um, before this class and I'm gonna go into them soon. Somebody talks about that in, in their question. You know, this whole, the, the whole dating scene and the whole dating game and, and everything around it, the swiping and, and I mean, every, I don't have to tell you, you know better than I do. It's all created in order to not be in a serious relationship. It is a trap. And you know, that's why I, I encourage you to stay out of it as much as possible, but you can't because you need to be out there in order to find someone. It's like this catch 22. I don't have an answer for that. You know, maybe it's something that we have to explore together. Maybe we have to all explore this together. Is what are we gonna do to be able to fix the dating scene? Because for those of you who are out there who are in the scene, it's really tough. It's really, really difficult for a lot of people. And, 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 I, and I appreciate that. And, and, and that's a really important comment to make and something important to talk about. Here's another one. You make it sound like it's a choice to be married or not. In my experience, most men are superficial and only go for women who are young and beautiful. What are the rest of the women supposed to do? Crawl into a hole? Also, why should marriage and taking care of your children have greater value than contributing to the world in other ways? Wow, okay, a lot of different questions here. So let's first get into the um, superficial element. I don't know why people keep on saying this. I definitely think there are some men and women out there who are superficial. I agree with you, but there are many who are not. But somehow that is the word around the block that 
men, most men are superficial. I don't know where that statement comes from. I don't think I set up a lot of, I have a lot of conversations about dating with men and a lot of conversations about dating with women. I don't see that most men are superficial. I can tell you there are some men who are superficial and there are also some women who are superficial, but not most. And those men who are looking for an older man looking for someone who's young and beautiful, I'm not gonna set him up. Somebody uh, had their rabbi call me the other day to tell me that he believes that even though he's 50 years old, it's okay for him to go out with a 20 year old. So I turned to the rabbi and I said, thank you for calling me. I hope you have a success setting him up with somebody because I'm not gonna set him up with that person. The end, fini fini. So yes, there are some people who are completely unrealistic like that, but there are many people who are not. So maybe you're looking in the wrong places. Maybe you're attracted to those people who are superficial. You have to ask yourself about yourself first, your own narrative. Who are you? What are the rest of women supposed to do? They're supposed to ask themselves, who am I? Why am I attracted to that? Same story, different face, right? Now, the second part of your question, which is also so important, why should marriage and taking care of children have a greater value than contributing to the world in other ways? It's very important. Contributing to the world in all different ways are so important. But there's a Torah, and as a rabbi, I have to say that the Torah is the ultimate truth, and we can debate that at a different time, but for now, we're not going to debate it. And the Torah says that marriage and children is the most important. The most important thing you should do in your adult life is getting married and having children. Not saying that doing good things in the world are not important, and there's a lot of people who do a lot of great in the world, but not the most important. Is it possible to say no to your basherit? Wouldn't Hashem bring him or her back into your life on if Hashem wants you together with the person? It's such a great question. There's a study that came out a couple of years ago from, I think the John Hopkins, if I remember correctly. And it said that by the time you're 35, you will have dated four people you could have married. Hashem brought those people into your life. Well, Hashem, keep on bringing them back. It happens every so often. I know a story myself, uh, somebody who I set up with that they had known each other for years on and off. And uh, yeah, I mean, Hashem kept them bringing them back into each other's lives. I don't know if that we can expect that. I don't know if that's fair. So I think the best is to know what you're looking for. Usually if you know what you're looking for, you find it. We're not searching for our soulmate. We're finding our soulmate because we know what we're looking for. And if you don't know what you're looking for, that's a really great thing to do. Figure out what you're looking for. I mean, it's not a store. I mean, sometimes you can go into the store and you, you, know, you don't know what you're looking for and you just browse the aisles. I mean, I know a lot of people are doing that on dating sites, swiping right and left, just browsing the aisles. But if you don't know what you're looking for, if you found the right thing, you won't know it's right. And hence that study that there are people who have dated the right person and could have gotten married to them, but didn't. Somebody asked me, outside of online Jewish dating, where to go? I mean, there are, there are matchmakers. It's, 
it's harder and harder. I mean, there are events, events are harder and harder to find people at because people stay, again, people stay in their cocoons. That's what it is. We're really uncomfortable to get out of our, our comfort zone. And the guys and the girls who are getting out of their comfort zone, they're usually the players and they're the ones that you don't want to date. So you know, I watched for years, I have watched these quote unquote young professional or young adult or singles events. And I've seen the same thing. People stay in their cocoons. They stay with their friends. They come with their friend. They stay with their friend. And the one person who's going to venture out or the two people who are going to venture out to, to break the ice, so to speak. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't happen ever, but it's, it's, it's not the norm. It's the exception to the rule. And I think that that's part of the problem. It's harder and harder to meet somebody today, but it's not impossible. It just question is, are you going to work on it? Are you going to bounce back? Are you going to go on a, you're going to, are you going to keep on trying? I mean, I set people up all the time and they're like, I know the person really, you really know the person. How do you know the person? What you, you, you saw them at an event from across the room. You, you were at a speed dating with them and you spoke to them for three minutes. How do you know they're not from, or the best is, um, there's an option in Jay Montreal that you can decline someone because of personality. Now, you saw a profile and a picture, and you're going to decline someone based on personality. How do you know a person's personality? It's always the shocking. I right away, when someone declines someone in Jay Montreal because of personality, I just red flag them all, all right away. I'm like, I don't know if I want to really set up this person. How do you know a personality? I always say, give it a try. Are we so guarded? Have we become so guarded in this day and age that we won't even give it a try? What's happened to our world? Give it a try. No one asked you to marry them. It's just a cup of coffee. Today, it's not even a cup of coffee. It's gonna be a Zoom or a, or a FaceTime or a Skype meeting. Just see, try. Be a little vulnerable. Put yourself out there just a little bit. That's all I'm asking. In the era of 2020, ooh, the era of 2020, has shaped society in a way to consume opportunity and enjoying the moment, quote unquote. Relentlessly and consistently, indeed we hear constantly many stories of separation, divorce, intermarriage, and polygamy. The point is, we have no control on the evolution of the other person's behavior towards the relationship. Yet we have to gamble on it now and forever. Yet when we see around us so many couples falling apart, is it still worth getting married? I could, I mean, it's, it's, it's a valid concern, but I could say the same thing. In the era of, I, I'm going to, I'm going to ask your question the exact opposite way that you asked it. You focused on the negative. I'm going to turn your question positive. Listen to this question. This is my version of your question. In the era of 2020, it shapes society in a way to consume opportunity, enjoying the moment. Indeed, we hear consistently so many stories of happy relationships, of love, of a real marriage, of people really being able to, to grow together in a way that they haven't grown in the past. And the point is that we have no control over the evolution. And it is a gamble. It's true. But what we see around us are so many happy and loving couples. We have a choice. We, yeah, I understand if you've been hurt, it's hard. I'm not denying that. But there are many happy couples. And there are many loving relationships. 
if you want to choose to say that there's so many couples falling apart because those are the ones you hear about, well, fine. Why don't you go in and find the couples who are happy and ask them in this crazy time, how do you stay together? What's your secret? I think that we need a little bit of a mind shift. Marriage does work for a lot of people. It also doesn't work for some people, but somehow we've become so focused on the, one, the people who it doesn't work for and not enough focused on the people who it does work for. It still works and people are still happy and there's still a lot of very loving relationships. Someone wrote, thank you, Rabbi, for your empathy and your openness. You're very welcome. I'm truly honored by your statement and your comment. Okay, here's the next question. How much weight do you put on a girl whose parents are divorced? Mm -hmm. Given statistics and all, if she seems sweet and cute, but also close to her mom, considering this vis-a-vis a girl whose parents are together and is a focused go-getter with an advanced degree, but it's still a bit type A, here the sweetness, quote unquote, or a sense of caring heart seems harder to garner. Thanks. Okay. So we don't know what kind of spouse someone is gonna be, but you definitely can see what kind of person they are with the person they have to be around. Their friends are not a good enough example for what kind of spouse they're gonna be. But if she has a good relationship with her mother, that's really good because it means that she is able to be in a relationship she has to be around. If she doesn't have a good relationship with her mother, that's a red flag. Now, sometimes it's, it's too enmeshed I'm not going to go to the extreme, but generally a good relationship with a parent is a very good thing because that's a person they have to be around and that shows that person is probably going to be a good husband or wife. Now, parents who are divorced, that is true. There are statistics, quite a bit of research that shows that people from divorced homes are more likely to get divorced, like really more likely to get divorced. But what I say to the people, and I've said this so many times before, but I, I can't say it enough, that the, the, if you're from a divorced home, you need to do three things. And that, those three things can take you 10 minutes or 10 years. But at some point in your life, you have to do three things in order to be able to be in a successful relationship. Number one, you have to figure out why your parents got divorced. Why did your parents get divorced? How do you figure that out? No, you don't ask them. You ask yourself because their narrative is not the narrative you're looking for, your own narrative. You, whatever it is, you have to ask yourself and you have to answer to yourself, why did my parents get divorced? Number two, you have to say it over and over again, it was not my fault. It was not my fault. So many kids blame their parents' divorce on themselves. And number three, which is the most important, and maybe will take the longest of those three, is you have to figure out what you're gonna do differently, how you are gonna be in a successful relationship. For kids that are, in, that are children of happy, and loving relationships, a lot of the elements of relationship are innate. It's natural for them. For kids that come from unloving homes or divorce, it's not natural. They have to learn it, but it's, it's a skill, just like anything else. You have to learn how to be in a relationship. Probably 
a good thing to be here right now. You have to learn. It's, it's not a talent, it's a skill. And if you don't have it innately from home, you gotta figure it out yourself. If you're marrying for the need, then isn't that a selfish type of love? Hmm. So you're opening up um, a different conversation. You, you, again, and I think it's maybe need is the wrong word. Maybe we're saying need, but it's really not. It's that you need to fill something that is missing in your life. Is it selfish? Marriage should be somewhat selfish and selfless at the same time. So yes, there's going to be a selfish element because you're in it. You are selfish. You are biased. There's no way for you not to be biased with yourself. You are selfish with yourself. So there's going to be a selfish element of it. It should only be selfish because there's another person there. The way you act, the way you treat the other should, be, should not be selfish. But the reason why you get married, to a certain extent, is going to be selfish. Yes. And it's a need and not a want. That is the 30-second version of a much longer answer that maybe I will focus on at a different time. How do I switch from what I want to get married to a need to get married? As more agreeable person, it's hard to assert myself and my needs. Wow, that is a great question. I'm gonna ask that question again because it's such a good question. How do I switch from what I want to get married to a need to get married. As a more agreeable person, the person's acknowledging that they are an agreeable person, it's hard to assert myself and my needs. So the first thing you have to know is that you have needs and you have to know what those needs are. You can't need to get married unless you know your own needs and you know what those needs are. You're agreeable. Agreeable means that you're going to go with the flow and you're not going to take control. Well, Maimonides says that if you want to change a behavior, you have to go to the opposite extreme. So maybe within your environments, if you're working or your friendships or your family life um, without, you know, not with the potential person that you're going to marry or that you're dating, try to be a little more assertive. And try to, to, to see what non-agreeable looks like on you. Try it out. Why don't you um, go out there and try to get five no's. Work, try, do something in your life. Go to your mom and, and ask her something to do for you that you're sure she's going to say no. Or go to your sister or your brother and ask them to, to if you have a sister or brother, um, and ask them, you know, to do something for you that you know they're going to say no. Try to get no's and see what happens. Try to see what non-agreeable, what, what pushing the envelope looks like for you. You, you, need to, you need to be able to, in your life, use your, your singlehood as a little bit of a science experiment and see... What, what works and what doesn't work? Get in touch a little bit more. If you're a cerebral person, which I'm assuming, um, based on what you're saying, I'm making an assumption here, but that you're in a cerebral person, then you need to become a little more emotional. And becoming emotional means you're kind of taking it down a notch and, and, and allowing it to allow yourself to experience things that are uncomfortable 
and then blog about it, blog about it for yourself. You don't know, I mean, saying journal about it, uh, write a diary or something like write it, ex try to talk about and think about what am I feeling right now in this experience? I know this is my nature, but I'm doing something that's not my nature. And how does it fit on me? How do I feel? Try to bring it down from the cerebral into the emotional. I'm not saying you have to stay there your whole life, but you're going to have to try it out right now. And you can do it with the people that you have to be around. Your friends you can do it with as well, but it's not going to work as well as the people you have to be around. Because that is a more, more of an example of your spouse, the people you have to be around. I hope um, that was a great question. I hope I, 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 I uh, did justice to it. When is the right time to get back on the horse after a breakup? What's, this, what's, what's with the horse riding? We're not horse riding. What's, what's the good time to get back on the horse after a breakup? Well, you have to go through the process. You have to do a postmortem. You have to mourn it like any other process. The beginning mourning is first you're going to, um, you're going to um, help me somebody. You're going to deny it. Thank you. And then you are going to, go through the mourning process of feeling sad about it. And then you're going to be able to figure out what you did wrong and how you're going to change it. You have to go through that process. Don't jump into a relationship because you're going to do the same thing over again. Same person, different face. That's what happens. You do. If you don't learn from your past breakup, you're going to keep on doing the same thing over and over again. And then you wonder like, why does this keep on happening to me? Well, you have to go through that process. You're in probably, if it just happened, you're in denial right now. So, go through the denial process. And at some point you're going to have to mourn it because there were good times. You can't deny it wasn't all bad. Maybe there was more bad that good than good. And that's why you broke up, but there was also good. So you're going to have to mourn those good moments and that relationship with that person that was very intimate and very special. And then you're going to have to look at yourself and probably you're going to need the help of an outside person for this one, but figure out what you did wrong and how you're not going to do that again. And then the next time you'll be able to be in a relationship with someone very different and that's going to help you. Okay. I have struggled. This person says just to maintain connections with women, let alone a relationship in which she behaves as invested as I am that I feel burned out. So if I grow, so sorry. So if I know I need to break, I need a break more than I may need to get married. Why should I get married? Great question. If you need a break, don't clog up the system. Don't try to find somebody. You can take a break, be in touch with your emotions. That's fine. Take the break. Don't try to push yourself to get married. If it's not the right time go, but, but don't just stay there because we're not gonna stay stagnant. We're either going up or we're going down. We're not staying stagnant. So you need to ask yourself, why, 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 why? And if you can't do it yourself, then find an outside party, a mentor, a coach, a therapist, somebody who can help you figure that out. Because that is a really important thing. And again, if the ultimate goal is that marriage 
or the big M word or relationships is the most important thing in your life, then you need to not be pressured to, but at least understand that what you're doing, even though it looks like it's moving backwards, it's eventually with the goal of getting into a relationship, of, of, of healing yourself and getting into a space where you can be in a relationship. I would love to take the questionnaire. Can you share your email with us? My email is rabbi uh, at jewishndg.com. Actually, you don't even need to write it down because you got an email from my email if you're in this class tonight. So you just respond to the email that I sent you. I'm also gonna send you the recording of tonight's class and I'm gonna send you some other stuff um, and just respond to any of those emails from me and I will send it to you with pleasure. Whatever, I have a number of questionnaires that I've spoken about over the past weeks of our classes. I'm happy to send you all of them. Um, sometimes work is escape. Yes, I agree. In relationships, a lot of people use their work to escape. Why is work escape and not other things escape? Because work can be as important as a relationship. So it really does intensify what I was talking about, career versus relationships, which I hope to, in the future, dwell on a little more. Um, somebody says, today no man wants to support a woman. That is the truth. Yeah. Um, I don't know that's an absolute. I think um, also like there are, there are many men who don't want to support women and it's many women who don't want to be supported by a man. They want that independence. So yes, I think to a certain extent relationships have changed, but it doesn't mean that we still can't be in a loving, fulfilled relationship even though relationships have changed. Um, how about self-actualization? You have to talk to Jung about that. Uh, um, I don't believe, I'm not going to say that actually, probably it's true that he was talking about self-actualization outside of a relationship, but maybe he was wrong. Maybe. Or maybe you can do self-actualization in a way that you can also be in a relationship. I'm, 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 I'm going to leave Jung out of it just for this moment. Um... How is it emotionally, humanly possible that two people are married over 15 years and the, and the two flames never become one? So marriage, I haven't spoken about this, um, in, this con in this forum, but marriage could be where you grow together and marriage can also be where you grow apart. And that is something that I speak to a lot of couples that I marry about. Um, it could be that over 15 years, two people can grow apart because they don't build their life together. And that's okay. But you have to know if you're one of those two people, you're also part of the problem. So don't say it's the other person's problem. It's also your problem and also their problem. So um, I'm happy at some point, if you want to talk about, you know, marriage and, you know, it's something that I talk about. I do uh, a lot of sessions with couples as well. And I do even open sessions with couples uh, such as these. And I do talk about that in those open sessions. So um, I'm going to leave it for that. If you want, if, if you're in a relationship and you want to be part of those sessions, just let me know. Don't they say when you're not looking for love, it will come your way. <laughs> I don't know who they are and I don't know what they say, but if you're in your bed under your covers, love is not going to knock on your door. You have to be out there, but there's a balance where you're out there, but you're not eager. You're not 
forceful. You just allow, you, you do the right preparation, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. All three are important. You need the physical preparation of, of, of being single. You need the emotional preparation, and you need the spiritual preparation. We haven't spoken enough about spiritual preparation. We have to get to that. And you need all those three. And yes, then don't be eager. Remember, when you're dating someone, it doesn't mean that you have to go to the chuppah. You know, it's not like you're going on a first date. You just allow the process to happen. That's what maybe they mean when you're not looking for love, that you just allow the process to happen instead of forcing the process. So many people, because of eagerness, because of whatever it is, because they've been alone for a while, they end up forcing the process and the process dissipates. And the opposite, there's a lot of people do what I call dating to death where they just date and date and date and the relationship kind of dissipates because there's nothing left to date anymore and they were supposed to get engaged and married. Also, this person says, why get married if the only woman who, you're, who was attracted to me are either older than me, past childbearing age, not physically attractive to me on any level, or are women who seem to drift and usually only communicate when I do, if they communicate at all? What I say to you, with all sincerity and from the greatest, deepest love in my heart. Those were a lot of absolutes that could be true and also could not be true. And that's okay. If that is the narrative that you tell yourself, then it's right, but it's not gonna get you in a relationship and it's true. Don't clog up the system. Don't date anybody. We don't want you because that is not gonna help you or anybody else. So you can create those absolutes in your life of what you're attracted to, what you're not attracted to. And I'm sure that's working for you. Maybe it's a, a, a defense mechanism that's working great for you. I'm proud of you. I'm sure that's great. But if you want to get into a relationship, you're going to have to change that. And if you don't want to change that, that's okay also. Just don't clog the system. Don't date anybody, please. I want a career in marriage and work on both. Unfortunately, getting a career is easier than getting a man. Please give me options. Perhaps start having more single get-together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, you know, there's options. I, have, I guess you know, people are asking me, I'm going to put together a list of a bunch of different options of how you can find people. And yeah, I think that we need to get more get-togethers. And uh, uh, from what I understand that even these Zoom events, there's like a lot of uh, private messaging going on behind the scenes, which I'm really happy about. It's okay if you're not listening to me. If you're uh, trying to see who else is out there on this, uh, on this Zoom event and... Uh, and, and that's part of why, you know, you signed up for it and you're here and you're live. That's why it's live and not pre-recorded so that you can be with other people. And it's not like I gave anybody uh, an opening here, but why not? You never know. I mean, I can guarantee you that for the most part, people on this call are, uh, are single. So there you go. If you're marrying for the need, isn't that a selfish type of love? See, same question. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I answered that one already. Uh, okay. This is from the same person who, um, before I told that person not to clog up the system, I'm not gonna even look at that question because um, narrative has to change. Rabbi, why would you elaborate? Well, sorry, why? Rabbi, would you elaborate? What is the other part of being whole and complete his presence itself while you're married i 
don't understand the question, can you just um, rewrite the question? Because I don't understand what you're asking. How intertwined are marriage and raising children, package that comes as two in one? Um, well, number one is marriage is no guarantee that you're going to have children, no matter what age you are. I mean, I, I understand these people say, well, you know, she's in her 40s and she'll never have kids. Well, maybe she's in her 20s and she'll never have kids. That's not fair. So there need to be somewhat separated because th there's the relationship aspect of it. And then there is the children aspect. Yes, I think that, you know, you, if you want to create a loving environment to raise children in, it's really important to be in a marriage in a long-term relationship. So there is a certain intertwined, but it's intertwined after the children, not before the children, if that makes sense to you. If we are doing something wrong, how do we know what we're doing wrong if we don't see the problem? You need a mentor, you need a coach, you need a therapist. And there's a lot of really great ones out there People have been messaging me. Um, I'm happy I've taken on quite a number of people. And if you want to, I'm not a therapist, but if you want a therapist, I have a number of therapists that I can refer you to that I think that are very good. There's a lot of therapists that are not good out there, who are not marriage-minded, who are not helping. But there's a lot of therapists out there who are good. And I'm happy to refer you to one. If you want a therapist, if you need, yeah, you usually will need an outside person to help you see those problems. It's hard to, we're biased. We are selfish. We, we, we give ourselves too many chances. It's hard to be able to also be completely objective when it comes to yourself. Is it possible that there is in fact not someone for some individuals? You mean there's not a soulmate for someone? It's so unromantic, it's so sad. What do you mean there's not a soulmate? Everyone has a soulmate. I think that there's a lot of people who don't have, we're not looking for the right person. So it could be that they, that, they're, that they won't find their soulmate because they're not looking for the person who could be their soulmate. But that's terrible. That's so sad. If there's, is there not somebody? There's somebody out there for everyone. There has to be. We have to believe that. And if we, if we don't believe that, then it's really sad. No, we have to believe that. We really do. This person says, uh, it's balancing work and study. Lack of balance hinders. Eight hours of study and eight hours of work that includes family work. Another person brings practical living and growth and a part of you that you don't even know about. Very beautiful. How do you know when that space is ready? When a, when a woman suddenly gravitates towards you? I don't know if women are going to suddenly gravitate for, towards you because you did some self-work. Maybe that's what Jung was talking about, self-actualization. Um, you know, there, there are some people who are magnetic. We're not talking about people who are magnetic. But I think that you're going to know when you're ready. It's not going to, it doesn't take a long time. It just takes a little bit of a mind shift. But people who are ready, they know they're ready and they do find someone. I've seen so many people now in great relationships. I, I'm, I'm watching it every single day, just amazing relationships. And I'm also seeing that some people are just not sure what they're looking for, not sure what's out there and not sure. And, or they're like this other person just kind of focusing on the negative that, you know, I'm not attracted to this one and I don't like this one and I don't, and yeah, you can go out there and figure out it's, if, if it makes you feel better, if that's your defense mechanism, you can go find that why everyone is wrong for you. There's nobody out there for you. 
Nobody. Half of the population is women. And then of the, you know, half of the half of the population, there's only like, you know, 1% of the population that's Jewish. And then uh, this and that and that. Yeah, you can go down to the fact that there's really nobody out there for you. I'm sorry. If that's the way you're going to, you're going to decide, then there's nothing I can do to help you. Okay. What if I cannot communicate appropriately with a person that I want to match with? I'm not sure what that means. Different language? Like you don't speak Spanish? Like what, what, is, what does that mean? Can, some, can you please uh, um, explain what, you, what you're talking about? Hi, Rabbi. Would it be possible to get a copy of your relationship questionnaire? Yes. Don't give me your, you gave me your email there. Thank you very much. I'm not going to be able to get your email from there, but just email me. You have my email. Email me and I will send it to you. I agree about balance. Career is not the antithesis of relationship. They can be complementary. Thank you. Um, someone says here, you've given me so much to think about. Thank you. You're very welcome. You're really very welcome. And I'm happy that I gave you what to think about. And I hope that it leads you to um, a space where you can be ready to be married and get into a wonderful relationship. This person says, how do you know Sorry, how do you change who you are attracted to when you don't want to be attracted to that type of person? Not physical attraction, like attracted to someone who has different values than you. Um, you're asking a question that is, needs to be unpacked. It's not, a, it's not a general question. So there's a lot of different ways to unpack this question. One of, one of the things you have to, you know, Sometimes you do have to change your values, but most of the time you don't want to change your values. Most of the time, the problem is people don't know what their values are. They don't know what their non-negotiables are. So you don't want to necessarily be changing your values. If you need to change anything about yourself to be attracted or to be in a relationship with somebody else, you're making a mistake about the person that you should be in a relationship with. Again, I really think this has to be unpacked a lot more than just 30 seconds. So um, if you have a specific element, you can ask me that and I'm happy to help you with that. Why previous generations got married in difficulty, shambles, even without having their stuff together and managed, but this generation needs their SHIT together first? It's a really good question. It's a really good question. Um, it, I don't know. I mean, look, we live in a privileged generation to a certain extent. We, we have all of our basic needs met. We live in uh, societies that are open and free to allow us to express ourselves. I mean, we've come so long. We've come a really long way. Women's rights. Uh, I mean, we can go on and on and on with how far we've come. But yeah, we have the breakdown of relationships. And part of that is because even in the shambles of the previous generations, they had a basic need. And today, A, we can probably have that, those basic needs met without a relationship. And B, we're in a, things are in a way much more complicated. That it was much more simplistic. It was survival then. We're not in survival mode anymore. We're in a, th a thriving society. 
And because of that, it's making our relationships and our focus on relationships that much harder because we're in such a thriving society. So to a certain extent, it's incredible. And the world has never been so amazing and never look, look at where we are right now. Look, we're all sitting in our homes connected. I mean, think about this compared to previous generations. Who would ever imagine if you told your great grandparents what you're doing right now, they would be shocked. I'm in Montreal and maybe some of us are even in Montreal and in, in other cities and other places. It can be anywhere in the world and where here we are all connected and learning together as if we're literally in the same room. Besides before when there was a little problem with our uh, internet. Some people should never have children, this person says. People that are so mentally damaged and truly narcissistic, a real pathology will only perpetuate generational abuse. Okay. Um, this person says, if you said yes to every suggestion you got, wouldn't that just leave you burned out and confused from dating? No, I don't think so. I think if you know what you're looking for and you said yes to every suggestion, you see so much of relationship is chemistry and personality and, and being able to connect, connect with that person. So I think that you can, it's okay for the beginning of a relationship to be somewhat disconnected when you're trying to explore that relationship. I think that we're, we live in this, this zero sum game. It's like all or nothing. It's not all or nothing. It's not all or nothing. It's, it's, it's a process. So I believe that you can say yes to every single person. You can even do a Zoom date or a FaceTime date with every person who suggested to you. If you're clear and you're focused about what you're looking for, and you're able to use that dating as a relaxed, enjoyable experience to get to know somebody. You have your stuff together. You know what your values are. You know what your non-negotiables are. You know what you're looking for. And then you can date someone and let it be pleasurable and relaxing and enjoyable and at the same time be able to. And so you're not getting immediately attached in a, in a, in a all-or-nothing type of way with every person that you're in a, you, you, you have a coffee with. So yes, I think that there's a way to balance that. And this person says, focus on one person at a time. I agree. Next, do you think, Rabbi Bernath, that with the loss of some essential values, it's difficult to open our hearts and trust too fast? Yes, I do think so. I think it's much harder today to open our hearts and to trust. But I think that at the same time that it's, um, that it's difficult to open our hearts and trust, we also have a lot more knowledge and we also have a lot more access to knowledge and we have a lot more ability to discern. So I think that usually with something difficult, you will also come the solution to it. It's, the Torah says that, that, um, that the, the remedy comes before the illness. So if there's something that's difficult in our lives, we have the way to remedy it before that difficulty. So yes, it may be a little bit more difficult, but it's also a lot easier in other ways because of our access to information and because of the ability that we have to figure things out in a way and the time that we have. The time that we have. And that's amazing. Whoever had time like this, we have so, and especially now with COVID, my gosh, do we have time? I mean, whoever imagined in previous generations and whoever imagined a year ago that we'd have this amount of time. So take advantage of it. 
So I want to just acknowledge that it's 10 o'clock right now, and I still have a lot of questions to answer. So if you um, want to drop off, it's totally okay. I like to honor time. I, as you can see, I start on time, and I also like to end on time. Um, so do not feel bad to drop off, but I also know that people um, ask questions, and I want to be able to get to the questions, and I haven't even gotten to the questions that were sent to me before the class and I want to get to some of those as well. So I will stay on to answer and to finish these questions, um, but you're welcome to drop off. Um, if you are dropping off, thank you very much for being with us tonight and I hope that this has been helpful and guiding and wonderful and, and uh, I hope to do it again soon. So let's continue. What if my life is not perfect and I want to meet someone and I want to meet someone, can I live this differently? Then my life solo, maybe it's too much. I don't understand. Um, can you re-ask the question? Should I appear as I need to marry? No. Needing to marry is for yourself, not to appear. There's the you and there is the external. It's an internal thing needing to marry, not an external thing. Can you be friends with women, a person of the opposite sex? So a, a man is asking me if, I can, if, the, if you can have a platonic relationship. No, I don't believe it's possible. And I've spoken about this before, but I'll just say it quickly. Um, a lot of women think they can be friends with men. It's more common for women to think than men to think, but Men, most men cannot be friends with women. I don't know if I'm going to go with an absolute. I'll say almost all men cannot be friends in a platonic way with women. What if a third party with malicious intent interfered and messed up your relationship? How do you get over that? Can I blame the person for not trusting me over that third party? Wow. What a great question. That's a loaded question. I'll try to unpack it in 30 seconds or less. Um, yeah, it does happen a lot. It does happen. I hear stories of meddling in-laws. I hear stories of other people, various things. Yes, there, this does happen. Once again, you can blame whoever you want, but you got to blame yourself first because you were in it. The question you have to ask yourself, if you're at the point of really asking this question, it could be you're still at the mourning stage of it. If you're still mourning it, if you still need to, you know, to, 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 to let it be, that's fine. But if you're at the point where you're, where you're really asking this question, you need to ask yourself, how did I let that happen? Because it's me, I was in that relationship. How did I let that happen? And what am I gonna do differently? What will I do differently in the future? So you need both of those. Okay, I fall in love fast and easily, but I don't stay in love for long. How do I stop this pointless cycle? So my answer to you is that you're not falling in love, you're falling in lust. There's a very big difference between lust and love. You're lusting after people, so you're allowing your hearts to become vulnerable, which is beautiful in a way, but you're not allowing your mind to discern that vulnerability. So there's a lot, lust is, there is a certain level of lust and I did speak about infatuation in the past. 
um, and, and if you want, um, if you send me a message, I'll send you my talk about infatuation. So you're becoming infatuated. You're lusting people very quickly. And what's ended up, what ends up happening as a result of that is um, you're, you're, it's kind of, you just have to, we just have to kind of get you on the right track. So understanding what is infatuation, understanding what is lust and not doing that in your relationships. That's the 30 seconds or less answer. Can you elaborate what you mean by your narrative has to change? How do you know if that narrative is actually false or not completely true? That is the work of a therapist or a mentor or a coach. Somebody has to help you do that. It's gonna be very hard for you to change your narrative by yourself. The point is, here you are. I'm sure this didn't start yesterday. So the proof is in the pudding. Can you have more than one soulmate in your life? The Torah says, yes, your, your first soulmate is your, is, your, uh, is your mazel, is your constellations, your luck. And your second soulmate is based on your merits. So yes, according to the Torah, you can have more than one soulmate. Rabbi, I've been single for a long time after divorce of many years ago. You have mentioned that as a single person, one's life is not complete as one who is in a marriage. What is the other part of us that can be fulfilled when in a relationship? That's a, something you have to figure out. It's a good question. And it's something you have to figure out in your relationships. What, what, is, what is that part? What is the complementary part of you? So I did have a questionnaire that I spoke last time, I think about the big five or maybe two times ago about the big five, but I would, then I would, I would recommend the big five for you and you should see where you fit on the big five. I, I can send you that questionnaire and then you'll see where the complement of who you are would fit on the other side of the big five. So you'll see what you're missing. It's a very, it's a very simple skill. It's something I use in matchmaking all the time is that you're able to see, you know, if the whole picture is the big five and there's different sides to it. I've spoken in, in length about this in the past. You can look at one of those other talks. Um, then you need to see which part you're missing. Um, someone said, what kind of thriving people are losing their jobs? I know I'm very sad for the people that are losing their jobs, but there's a lot of other wonderful things that are going on and maybe people are losing their jobs. It's going to open a wonderful door. We, we just got to stay positive as much as we can. We need to stay positive, especially now the world is asking us to be positive, not to look at the cup half empty, to look at the cup half full. We need to see, yeah, people are losing their jobs. People are also making changes, incredible changes. Maybe they lost their jobs, so finally they can have time to get into a relationship because they haven't had time because they've been climbing the corporate ladder for the past 10 years. So God does to us what is, what is good for us. And it's our job to look at the positive and to figure out what it means in our lives. Okay. Next. Women are too picky. Why should I knock myself out to please them? You probably already know what I'm going to say to this. Where did these generalizations come from? Did you once have a woman in your life that was too picky? How do you know this? I 
spend time with people and I see what they're looking for and I see what's going on. Yet, I don't, I don't see this. I, I probably, my perspective, at least from my experience, I would say is, is much more vast than the one or two people or five people that you have experience with. I don't know where these generalizations come from. I don't know. There could be a woman out there that's too picky and there could be a man out there that's too picky. So what? Okay. What do you mean? Why are you attracting that woman who's too picky or that woman who's not for you? There's somebody out there for you. I'm already a sensitive and socially intelligent guy. How can marriage really benefit me? My answer to you is, I'm very proud that you're sensitive and so socially intelligent. You should be socially intelligent and sensitive for the rest of your life. Don't get married. Because if you want to know how marriage is going to benefit you, it's not going to benefit you. There's absolutely no benefit for you in marriage. And there's no reason for you to get married. If you want to give, if there's something missing, if you need something and you have what to give. For those of you who have taken my five-step questionnaire, you know, I'm not going to tell you what step two is because it's going to ruin the questionnaire. But you know what step two is, if you know what I'm talking about. You don't, don't want to get into a relationship for what's going to benefit you. That is narcissistic. Narcissists make the worst partners. Do not get in a relationship with a narcissist. You're not going to fix them. You're not going to help them. You're not going to do anything valuable for them. Do not get in a relationship with a narcissist. If you're getting into relationships for what's going to benefit you, don't. Stop while you're ahead. Don't clog up the system and don't ruin someone else's life because you're a narcissist. Okay. I'm in my upper 40s. Isn't it too late to get married and have a biological family? So why should I try? Really? Really? You can say that in your upper 20s. Isn't it too late to get married and have a biological? You can say that anytime. First of all, I mean, there's so many generalizations in that statement. Isn't it too late to get married and have a bio? Why? Why? How do you know? How do you know? How do you know what God has in store for you? You have to do what's right. If it's hard for you, if it, this is a difficult process for you, I feel your pain. That's okay. But don't start creating defense mechanisms that are not true, that are, will help you get through this. It's much better to have authentic and true defense mechanisms that will help you get through this. I've heard rabbis say that marriage is designed to complete spouses. Okay, I've been accused of saying that myself. But how can one have a successful marriage if one needs it in order to feel complete? Um, I guess, once again, this is coming from a narcissist. Because only a narcissist would ask a question like that. But he continues the question. I'm guessing it's a man. Doesn't one have to feel adequate or good about themselves just the way they are when single? Yes. Okay. He continues. 
why would a woman want to marry a man who needs her to feel complete? Don't women, don't women are generally attracted to men who feel complete and confident enough to take the leadership role in marriage, even if they don't admit out loud, and even if they, the women, take the lead in some, but not most aspects of the marriage? Again, you're, you're making generalizations. I don't really understand why someone would make generalizations. There's so many elements that are, there's so many things in relationships that need to be clarified. Why do you want to add more elements that don't need to be clarified? Yes, some marriage, some people take a leadership role, some don't take a leadership role. Again, you know what would be very good in this situation, what I would say to you, you need to do the big five because you're gonna see in the big picture the part of you that you have and the part of you that you need, because there's a part of you that you need. You'll see, if you wanna look at the big five as a whole picture, there's part of you that you need. So I really encourage you, I spoke about it, I think last class is when I spoke about it. Um, I think that th that would benefit you tremendously. Okay, next, what, what's an authentic and true defense mechanism? And what's the definition for that? Ooh, great question. Um, a def a authentic and true defense mechanism is something that is happening now. Instead of looking at the past, the past is good for experience, future is good for future, but what's happening now? So if, you're if you have a defense mechanism based on, let's say, something emotional that's happening in your relationship right now, that's an authentic defense mechanism because it's something. Now, it could be that's based on a previous experience. So you're going to have to have somebody who's an outside party, a therapist, a mentor, a coach, somebody who's going to have to be able to say to you, yeah, that's a defense mechanism, but that's based on another relationship. That's not based on this. So you're just, so um, you could have an authentic and true defense mechanism. But I will say, there's no defense mechanism that's good. What you want to be is vulnerable and open. That would be the best. But a lot of people are closed. And, and they've been closed through experience or through their nature or through their nurture. There's a lot of reasons why they're closed. But so we have to deal with what we have and who we are. We can't say that, yeah, I mean, I want to be the quintessential best person I could be, but I'm, I'm a human being. So I want to be the best person that I can be in that sense. Um, so what is, a, what is a true defense mechanism would be don't have a defense mechanism. But because I do have a defense mechanism, you have to just make sure, use an outside party who is knowledgeable and can help you to make sure that you are properly dealing with the situation and you're not dealing with another situation in this situation, like a past relationship. Um, I've heard that women constantly test men. Really? I've never heard that before. Okay. This is interesting. Yet expect them to remain cool and unaffected. Does anybody ever hear of this before? I've never heard of this before. And I've even heard that women often mention multiple things at once to their man that needs attention seemingly as if they expect their man to make a mental note of everything all at once. Okay. As a man, I can only handle one thing at a time. And if I had to put up with all this, I think my head would explode. I, if I had to put up with all this, my head would explode. My gosh. 
as a man, what's the point in getting married and putting myself through that kind of mental ringer? Putting up with all these things just to be married sounds like it would be a journey through H-E double hockey sticks. What do you say to that? Well, I think by now you all know what I'm going to say to that. There's way too many generalizations. The generalizations here, as somebody just said, are unbelievable. Why would somebody even bother? Don't bother. You, you need a therapist. God bless you. Therapy's not for everyone, but it's definitely for you. Amen. Uh, can these toxic bad apples, dates and marriages, and all these difficult kicks in the tuchus, exposing our own issues, and be preparing the vessel be for a good apple? I hope so. I hope to say that everything you've gone through in your life, that all your experiences in your life are because it's going to lead you to something good. But if you keep on doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, you know what the answer to that is. So stop having the same story over and over again, different face. You need to learn from it. That is really, really important. So those are all the questions I got, but because we already went 15 minutes over time, I'm gonna allow you all to unmute if you want, and you're welcome. We can have a conversation. The, the room has gotten quite a bit smaller than it was before. I'm happy to take your questions in person, and uh, I'll stay here another, I don't know, another 20 minutes or so if you'd like. I know there's a lot of, I see from your faces, there's a lot of other conversations going on around this, so I'm, I'm happy. So I'm happy to keep this line of communication open. So, uh, Please uh, go for it. Uh, anyone who unmuted themselves, I'm assuming you have something to say or a question or a comment. So please. <laughs> Not all at once. Anybody? Wow. Yeah. We got actually, hi. Yeah. Hi. I'm just, uh, I want to ask, uh, how can I, how can anyone find his real, his true soulmate? I mean, his right one. What, what is the, what do you mean by how can anyone find a true soulmate? What are you referring because, to? Because whenever you are in the inside or something like you, uh, I mean, I personally, I drop out of people who I can deal with. Okay. So, so I don't know, uh, I feel tired. So I'm assuming that you've been dating a long time and that you're tired because you end up with people you can't deal with. So the best yeah. thing is to, to, to know what you're looking for and to know the person that you can deal with to know what your, what your values are, to know what your non-negotiables are, and to date a person that you can deal with. And that oh, as, so if you're getting into those relationships, there's a reason why there must be a disconnect between your heart and your mind. No, I mean, I, I never get in a relationship of that because from the first, the first chatting, I know he, he, he can't, you know, or he's not the one. But uh, I mean, first thing, I'm, I'm trying to find Jewish one. Okay. Uh, and the Jewish I found, 
all divorced, and most of them want, uh, I can say, one night stand, or uh, how we can say it, uh, sexual relationship, maybe, as the last one told me, maybe it's going to be something, but not marriage. Right. While I am looking for marriage. So I don't, I know this is a taboo thing in our society, but why can't you just say that? What's, what's so scary about just saying that? Saying that to somebody, and you'll, you'll automatically, you're going you're gonna to weed out the people who aren't interested in that. If you're looking for a serious relationship, just say, I am looking for a serious relationship. It doesn't mean that I want to marry you tomorrow. It just means that I am, I am relationship focused and I want something serious. And I think automatically you, you, you get out of that, that, that scene. Yeah, I feel like it's, it's nonsense for me. Yeah. I think that's what it is. That's a good question. Who else? Anyone else? Kaya, you have a question? No. Okay. <laughs> Please, everyone. Everyone's quiet all of a sudden. Hey, Rob. Hi. How are you? Hi. Hi, Ari. What's up? So I want to go ahead and like something that you touched upon. Like men and women can't be friends. Okay. Some of my best friends are women. Okay. Some of my best friends like are married. Some are single, and they are like I love them to death, and I would never in a million years give them up for anyone. Okay. So why would I not be friends with a woman? You know, um, I can, Ari, I can generalize the answer or I can s specify the answer. What, what, what do you think is better for you? Give me like the no whole barred, you know, answer. I want the real problem. Let's go back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, you know, I'm trying to say this in a nice way. I don't know if I'm ready for the no holds barred element of it. It's right after now. hour talk. Remember that? It is after. It is after hour. It's true. We're, we're <laughs> off the clock right now. It's past 10 o'clock. It's officially whoever's here is here out of their own volition. Uh, I find, okay, let me say it like this. Okay, I'm going to try to say this in the, in the most kosher way that I could say this. Kabbalah does not talk about men and women, but rather Kabbalah talks about male and female energy. It could be that for most men, there's more male energy than female energy. And then for most women, there's more female energy than male energy. But it could be that it's a little bit, mis you know, in our society, because of, uh, I don't know what they call, I think they call it metrosexual or something like that, because, because we, we kind of blurred a lot of that stuff. So it could be that that, platonic relationship is coming because of a particular individual's, let's say, more, um, you know, an energy that's more relational to that particular person. So it's, it's, it's tough, but generally, there are exceptions to every rule. Generally, it's very difficult. I'm happy if you've had female friends that have been there for you in your time of need, I don't know if maybe that's the best use of a female friend. You have to think about 
what maybe if your time of need, let's say, was that you were breaking up with a female in a relationship, I don't know if it's the best thing is to be running to another female for support. I'm just saying. You may not be answering your difficulty by running from one female to another female. It could now, if the female was professional, which means if you had a female therapist that was professional, and that's a different story. But by, by, by using that female as a sounding board for your relationship with a woman, I think you're defeating the purpose. What if it's just having a friend? Like what a best mean? friend is not just for a relationship. I understand, but what does that mean? It means being there for you emotionally, physically, you know, not physically, but emotionally, you know, you're going through hardships in your life, anything. It doesn't have to be a relationship. Like I've had best friends who are there for me and like, they're like family to me. So. I, so yeah, it's, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. And I, I've heard that before, mm -hmm. but there's also, there's relational limitations in that. If you're, if it's really a friend, then there's relational limitations in that. And if it's not a friend, then there's also relational limitations in that. So you have to be careful. I'm not saying there aren't exceptions to the rules. What I'm saying is that you may be shooting yourself in the foot when you think that it's really helping you. So just something to think about, something, something to question. Who else? It's nice to see faces and hear voices. This is wonderful. I love this. Well, uh, thank you for your time. Alex, I can't see you. Can you hear me, Alex? Can I you hear me? Hear you. I can hear you muffled. Muffled? Okay, let's try this again. Let's say. Much better. Better? Yeah, so I just want to say thank you for your time and uh, these uh, courses. It's very interesting, very fascinating. I like learning from this. Uh, I enjoy it. It's refreshing. So uh, let's keep up uh, every so often. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, I'm looking for some ideas. Well, I, I came up with two really good ones uh, tonight that we'll do for a future one. I think we're going to do one on divorce. What divorce is <laughs> about marriage. That's, I think, an important one. And I'm looking for some other ideas. Um, you, you said you wanted to do a course on, on your secrets, you know, yeah. <laughs> how you, how you matchmake people. Oh yeah, that's right. I did say that. I'm going to do that. Yeah. But, uh, you, you mentioned that people, uh, a lot of people are mentioning that they like to look for love, but I, I think from what I've heard from other people, especially, uh, it's better to look for respect. Oh, that's interesting. Is this true? How do you, how do you define respect? I'm asking you. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm asking you. How do you, you said it's better to look for respect. It's a very vague word, respect. So how I do agree. You so I, that's why I'm wondering, what, where does that notion come from? I'm asking you. I, I have no idea. I mean, I, I, I don't, I mean, everyone look, defines words the way they want. You know, when people say, I want somebody kind and nice. I have no idea what that means. Me <laughs> too. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Kind and nice. You know, the, the, these vague words are not helping anybody. So, that's so what what's I, a better word? When... I don't know. I just, I'd rather a definition than a word. Okay. Well, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Thanks. I have, I yeah, have something please. to, yeah. Sure, fine. I'm glad you mentioned that uh, you're interested in doing um, 
a workshop or a talk on divorce because divorced people have been hurt and they're they've been they've been perhaps damaged and they've had to heal and so when they're out there looking again for a partner um they don't want to be hurt again and so they may be more critical of um, a prospective you know, person, a male or female, uh, because of it. And I think I would find, um, I would be very interested in a um, discussion of that. Maybe I'll do that one next. Maybe I'll try to do that one next. Um, yeah, I think that a lot of people, I've been getting a lot of private messages from people saying that they would be very interested because it does, it's a very different conversation than someone who's never been married before. And you come yes. to a different place and there are a lot, of, a lot of very specific things that need to be worked through. So I, I, I really agree with you. Yeah, well, because the divorced person has to recover mm -hmm. and then they also evolve because mm -hmm. of what they've been through. And what they're looking for, you're right, is not the same thing that someone who's looking to get married first time around. And and the truth is they carry a lot of a lot of baggage. It's a lot more complicated because they do look if you're especially if you've been in a relationship for a long time, you carry stuff with you and there's no way to, to separate yourself from that. So it's a whole exactly. it's a whole different kind of worms. I agree with you. Yeah. So thank I'm, you. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that. Thank you. Anyone else? A few people I see are unmuted. I can uh, I can call on you if you want. Um, somebody said you said that you don't know what nice means. What about good character? Isn't that an important ingredient to successful marriage? Once again, I don't. How do you define good character? I need two lines after that good character. Tell me how everyone defines good character differently. Some people, you know, define good character as somebody who will support me and take care of me. Some say good character is someone who opens the door. Good character is someone who is ethical and honest. I mean, it's so many different ways of describing, and, and it could be all of those things. But you need to be very specific about how you describe good character. Somebody else uh, wrote, how do you do a dating, uh, can you do a dating seminar for people who suffered middle-aged school bullying trauma? Oh yes, that's very big. Very big, absolutely, that's a very good idea. Middle-aged school bullying trauma that, that, um, that people lose trust in other people as a result of that, yep. I think a lot of people who went through uh, various um, issues in school have that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I just want to make a comment about what you said on good, about good character. Sure. I think we can look at good character in a in in marriage and when i think of good character in a relationship um i'm thinking of certain adjectives like loyalty mm -hmm. honesty trust companionship um uh uh what's an i don't know just a whole bunch of others yeah i mean it, and and again there's a they're all great adjectives but you have to decide like what 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 is it really for you like i'd rather if someone said good character, I'd rather it be a narrative. Good character means my father used to always walk people to the door 
when they came to visit us. So it tells me a lot about what you mean by good character. It means that you like to have people in your home. You're somebody who's giving, who likes to host people, and you're someone who cares about the fact that you don't just host people, but host them with grace and honor and respect. So like, I would like to see these adjectives associated with a narrative. Okay. And usually okay. people have that narrative based on their parents, based on people that they respect in their life. And if you really boil it down, you will, um, you will remember some reason why that's really important to you. And sometimes it's a negative narrative and that's okay also. You know, I had someone who wasn't this and I realized I really need this in my life. Mm -hmm. Somebody just wrote here, um, sometimes you hear people say that they like the person and their values line up, but they are not 100% physically attracted to the person. What do you suggest dealing with that? Um, I suggest dating them. If your values line up, then it's a matter of chemistry and I believe that chemistry can grow over time. You can't expect from one meeting to have enough chemistry to decide whether or not this person is good for you. What you do after a date is you say, do I want to date that person again? You don't say, do I want to marry them? You say, do I want to see them again? And then you say after the second date, do I want to see them again? And then you say after the next time, do I want to see them again? So you allow that process where some reason this is like an all or none thing. This is a zero sum game. It's not a zero sum game. We have to, we, we have to allow the process to happen. A couple other questions came in here. Someone who has never been married are, are, are broken too. Spinster, old maid, many Jewish parents treat their unmarried daughters as less than. You, you lose hope as if you'll never happen for you. I'm very sad for that. I'm sad. I'm very sorry to hear that. Um, don't lose hope, please. There, there's somebody there for you. Don't lose hope. I've, I've had a lot of success of matching people up who, who have been single for a while. Um, Rabbi, does not these generalizations on men or women hinder dating or approaching someone? Absolutely, please. And, and, and you're saying even my generalizations to a certain extent, maybe, but we have to, I mean, I have no choice. If we were talking one-on-one, -on -one, then I, didn't have to, I wouldn't have to generalize, but I have no choice but generalizing in this situation. Somebody asked, how many dates do you have to give it for chemistry to develop? And that is a very good question. Every person is different. Some people need a lot and some people don't need as much. But you have to allow, the point is you have to allow the process to happen. And if you're with someone who, let's say it happens very often, one of the people will say to me, if I'm really following, so very often I, I set people up and they're, they're on their own. But every so often, and it's happening more and more, people will say, I don't want to be on my own. I want you to be in the middle. So I'll know what's going on. Each one will report to me after each of the dates. And you'll have one that will say, okay, I'm ready to get engaged. This is amazing. And the other one I see needs time. And I say to that one, I'm happy that you're ready to get engaged, but this other person needs time. And you need to allow that other person you're dating, you have to give them the time that they need. That's really important. It's a process. It's not only you. Just because you decided that you want to get engaged now, it's not you. If you decide you want to get engaged now, then marry yourself. <laughs> but if you're in a relationship with somebody else, then you need to also allow that person to go through that process. So it could be that chemistry will develop over time and it may take a little bit more time than you're accustomed to. Why, um, someone says, why do you assume that people who make sweeping generalizations are narcissistic? Maybe the generalizations are based on their experiences. And if they're not 100% true. I, 
I make generalizations based on my experiences. You'll make generalizations based on your experiences. But if you are making those kind of generalizations based on your experiences, you need a therapist. That's what I'm saying. Don't, it's not going to help you for me to answer your generalization in a public forum with a generalization. You need someone who's going to listen to your story, who's going to help you, who's going to help you work through it. I think, uh, I think we've, we've, we've solved the world's problems at this point. It's been wonderful. Let's, uh, let's call it a night. Okay. Thank you very much for joining me tonight. Thanks for staying on. We do a 40 minutes uh, after hours. It's been uh, really wonderful, and uh, I hope it's been helpful for you. And uh, obviously, you have my email. You know where to find me. It's really a pleasure and an honor to, to share this time with you. And thank you all for thanking me. It's really, you're very welcome, and it's really an honor to do this. And uh, hopefully, we will do it again very soon. Um, and again, please send me your, uh, your comments, your questions, your death threats, and your ideas for other classes. So uh, have a very good night. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you very You're much. Welcome. You're welcome very much. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All these wonderful people that have been so quiet the whole night. Now we're getting the shkoyachs and the thank yous. That's okay. Okay. Good night, all. I'm just going to, I am going to.